Hopefully you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. Hopefully you guys got some good food. I ate a lot of turkey. I watched a, a ridiculous amount of football, and I set a 2,000-piece Lord of the Rings puzzle, all right? So that's that's how you know. <laughs> wow, thank you. <laughs> no, it's you should be like, like, wow, Steve, get a life is what you should be saying. Uh, anyways, it took us all three Lord of the Rings to set it. Uh, so that's, that's a problem. Anyways, hey, uh, some quick family celebrations that we want to just, uh, do tonight. Uh, our dear friends, Gareth and Anna are here tonight. Can you guys stand up? Yeah, you guys got to stand up. Yep. All right. So, uh, Gareth was a student here just, uh, la well, last year. And Anna has, it's been a couple years for you, uh, like three years-ish. So they were in Chi Alpha uh, and went on a missions trip to rural Alaska, felt God calling and tugging both of them to uh, go and minister there and use their degrees to do what we would call marketplace ministry. And so uh, Gareth is actually in our 10-month training program right now uh, to become a marketplace minister in Bethel, Alaska, and is going to be using his degree in aviation to do that. And, uh, and being a pilot while making disciples. And then Anna is already in Bethel doing that exact thing as a nurse. And so if you have questions about how to use your degree uh, in the mission field, those two are two people that are incredible to talk to. So can we please uh, give a, like a big round of applause to two of my heroes? Cool. Oh, and... They are engaged to be wed 72 days from now, all right? All right. <laughs> Very, there, you had a lot of excitement from the front row up here, just to let you guys know, all right? Wow. Uh, some other uh, small uh, family news. Um, Aaron and I are pregnant, so that's cool. Uh <laughs> Figured I'd drop that on you. So, <laughs> uh, what? What'd you say? Who's? I'm gonna be a dad. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So, uh, there's going to be a. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. I'm, I, I am, we, we are due in May, and, uh, and if you don't know uh, our story with this, um, we have been waiting and praying for God uh, to do this miracle for uh, a little over, well, around six years now, uh, and God has finally answered that prayer, and, uh, and so we are really, really excited. All of you are going to have a little niece or nephew uh, to, to look after uh, and to take care of. And so just be ready uh, to fulfill that duty with great, uh, in, with great fear and discretion. All right? All right. There you go. Uh, so anyways, yeah. We were excited to tell you guys that tonight. Aaron told me I couldn't invite her up to make the announcement because she was too shy. Uh, it's like, I was like, she's like, I don't like all that attention. I was like, you're like a great preacher and teacher and like, are in front of people all the time. But anyways, uh, so make sure to say congratulations to Aaron as well. And thank you all for praying for us. 
uh, as we've as we've gone throughout that journey. I know many of you have. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, all right, well, we're going to jump into tonight, and we're going to talk about a topic that isn't, like, super fun to talk about. And so uh, just turn to your neighbor and say, well, if you're, if you are, don't, don't make sure it's genuine, uh, but turn to your neighbor and say, hey, uh, I'm ready to get my toes stepped on a little bit, all right? Just go ahead and do that. Okay, perfect, perfect. All right. All right, because here's, here's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about overcoming narcissism in our lives, okay? Now, how many people know somebody who's a little narcissistic? All right, all right. Uh, how, many people, how many people aren't narcissistic at all? Oh, all right. Okay. Hmm. All right. Somebody, somebody in this room raised their hand about you. All right. Uh, <laughs> the reality is, is that we are all narcissistic. If you don't know what that means, narcissism is just when we think about ourselves more than we ought to. In other words, it involves selfishness, a sense of self-entitlement, a lack of empathy, and a need for admiration. The most like blatant symptom of narcissism is selfishness, but sometimes narcissism hides itself a little bit. We can be narcissistic on the inside and, and not be uh, uh, narcissistic on the outside. For example, I had to ask people to make sure that, that people actually have, have watched Toy Story, all right? Uh, but uh, you guys all know, hopefully you guys all know the character Woody. Can we put that picture up, all right? So Woody is a well-loved character, right? Woody is a class act narcissist, right? Think about it. He is like, uh, and he, he hit it well in the movies. Everybody loves him. He's the lead toy. And then Buzz Lightyear comes along. And then we are like watching this story as kids. And we don't really realize that in this scene, you know what we're witnessing? Attempted vehicular manslaughter, all right? That is what we're watching. Look at that face. I mean, are you kidding me? Like, he's about to run Woody literally out of a two-story window, which in the equivalency, if we were to, like, redo the ratios, that would be like pushing somebody off the ConocoPhillips building, all right? This guy is sick. And what drove it? Well, it was narcissism, Right? Because he wasn't able to be in charge anymore. It, thing, people weren't going to listen to him. He couldn't control his environment, and he couldn't take it. Sometimes narcissism is blatant and obvious. Sometimes it is hidden. But my friends, all of us struggle with it, every single one of us. And we've been trained in our society to be narcissistic because we live in a consumer culture. We live in an individualistic culture. We have been, we live in a culture in which we have been given a platform by which we are expected to speak our thoughts. I want you to think about that for a second. You are expected to speak your thoughts on social media. And if you don't, if you remain silent on an issue, it actually communicates something, sometimes even more than what saying something about it would. That's the society that we live in. And when we have that in our brains, we start to think that, man, I, I really kind of am in the center of this universe. Not to mention the fact that we have a tendency, especially in America, to, to worship our personal safety. We're told to trust our feelings. 
that if we get stressed at all, that we just need to like hunker down and whatever it might be, uh, like, well, just get healthy. And all of this leads to us thinking about ourselves a lot. And the problem is, is that this has crept its way into our walks with Jesus. When we come to serve Jesus, a lot of times we ask, what can serving Jesus do for me? What will I get out of this position of church leadership? What will I get out of this volunteer position? Will this thing that I have been called to do allow me to have a healthy balance? Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have a healthy balance and that you should just burn yourself out. What I'm saying is that maybe God is calling you to stretch yourself beyond yourself. You see, Jesus talks about the fact that if anybody wants to be great in his kingdom, he must become the least. That we are called to be servants. He himself actually exhibited servant leadership for all of us. The disciples one day are sitting around arguing about who's going to be the greatest person in heaven. And Jesus says, well, the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Jesus goes on to say, do not let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. In other words, even in your doing good, don't make it about you and about yourself. If he were to put that into today's terms, in the, in the, uh, the 21st century living translation, it would say, do not let your Instagram know what your hands are doing, right? And yet, we have that tendency, don't we? So we're going to do a little quick self-diagnosis here, and then we're going to jump into what Scripture has to say about overcoming narcissism in our lives. So you might be struggling with narcissism if you struggle with one of these symptoms, all right? Fear is one of them. Constantly thinking that others are thinking about me more than they actually are, or constantly worried about what's going to happen to my safety, reputation, or successful track record. Another symptom is insecurity. If you are in charge of your self-value and your worth, you will always be feeling insecure. Another symptom is comparison. We're comparison, compa comparison. We're comparing ourselves to other people. Another symptom is consumerism. Another symptom, self-centered decisions. Now I'm going to really step on toes here for just a second. Self-centered decisions sometimes come in the form of saying, hey, I, I, I'm going to cancel plans with this person at the last second. I'm going to ghost this person. I don't need to text them back. Uh, I, I can be flaky, and I can kind of just, like, because I just need to concentrate on me, right? I actually think that flakiness, if that's, a if that's something that you struggle with in your life, that's actually rooted in narcissism. If we say we're going to do something and we don't do something, it affects those around us that we have committed to do something with, right? None of us want to be ghosted. None of us want our friends to flake out on us, but yet we are so quick sometimes to flake out on our friends. Uh, write this down. Put it on a, a, a poster somewhere. Uh, flakes don't make friends, all right? Flakes don't make friends. Catastrophizing is another symptom. When we are convinced that the whole world is going to explode, if I fail this test, the universe will come to a screeching halt. And God's like, first of all, like, no. 
And then finally, the last symptom is judgment. When we think that, man, everybody who doesn't think like me is an idiot. And we think that we have the answer to everything. And what I can tell you, my friends, is that narcissism, when exhibited itself in our walks with Jesus, will lead to us never stepping out in faith, never taking risks, never doing something uncomfortable for the kingdom. It'll lead to us eventually walking in hurt in every relationship, never having joy, always being fearful, and leaving a wake of broken friendships in our lives. So we got to do something about this. In Romans chapter 12, Paul writes to the Romans and essentially gives us a way to stop thinking about ourselves and start thinking about those around us more than we think about ourselves. And so from this passage, I want us to pull some practices to fighting narcissism. Are we ready for this? Okay. Three people. All right, here we go. Romans 12, verse 3. It says, For by grace, by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith, God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of you has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same functions, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. It is to show, if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Okay, that's a lot of incredible. If you've never read the book of Romans, I encourage you to do a study on it. It is uh, well, it is my favorite book in the Bible. I love it. All right, uh, it is deep. It is rich. It is wonderful. Um, I would encourage you, if you're going to do a study on it, do a study on it with a study Bible, uh, because it's, it's, uh, there might be some things that maybe go over your head. So uh, have a study Bible. If you have questions, let me know. Anyways, we're going to pull some things from this scripture as to how to fight narcissism. And the first one I want to pull is from verse 3, and this is God-centered thinking. Verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. In other words, you would be nothing if it wasn't for what God did for you. God-centered thinking allows us to move from this place of saying, what can God do for me? And moves us to a place in which we say, God, you have done everything for me. Now, what have you called me to do with you? So often, 
because of how we've been trained with our worldview, we read the Bible through our worldview. And a lot of times we read the Bible and we say, what does the Bible say for me? What is the Bible speaking to me? My friends, the Bible was God's revel- is God's revelation of his nature and character to us. And so when you read the Bible, I want to challenge you to read it maybe a little differently than you've ever read it before. Instead of saying, what is this passage saying to me? Ask the question, what is this passage saying about God? And if that's true of God, what does it mean for my life? You see the difference there? I know it's subtle, but it actually changes a lot. Because all of a sudden, we remove ourselves from the center of the narrative, and we put God in the center of the narrative, and we say, okay, God, if that's true of you, then what does that mean for me? God, if you really paid it all, then it makes sense that all to you I owe. And if God isn't in the center of that thinking, our theology can kind of go crazy a little bit. Okay, let's move on to the second one, which is teachability. Teachability. So we put God in the center of our thinking. We say, God, I want what you want more than what I want. I want your will, not my will. I want to know who you are and then in return understand better who you say that I am. Okay? And then once we get to that place, then we can become teachable. Now listen to this in verse 4. It says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to the others. In other words, you are surrounded by people who are better at things than you are. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are better at something than I am. That's true, right? It's just simply true. There is something that your neighbor is better at than you are. I want you all to look over your shoulder for just a second. You have blind spots in your life that your brothers and your sisters can see, and you cannot. There are things that Steve stinks at. And guess who sees, uh, guess who smells the most stink in Steve's life? Air. <laughs> Well, don't answer so quickly, all right? (laughs) Aaron sees the most stink in my life. Marriage has actually taught me, has sanctified me, has made me a, 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 uh, has revealed to me my shortcomings more than anything else. Not because Aaron sits around with like a list and be like, it's time for your husband evaluation, right? She doesn't do that. But, Being married makes me realize that, ooh, yeah, I do have blind spots. My friends, we need to be teachable. Overcoming narcissism, one of the things we must do is we must say, okay, people around me can teach us something. In fact, I want to challenge you with this mentality. Every person you meet can teach you something. Your four-year-old niece or nephew can teach you something. That 95-year-old person at your church, oh boy, can they teach you something. Are we teachable enough to ask people in our lives where our blind spots are? 
One of my biggest mentors in my life was my campus pastor, Pastor Brad. And when I got the opportunity to hang out with Pastor Brad, I would like bring a list of questions to Pastor Brad. And I gave Pastor Brad permission to tell me when I was being stupid. And if you only knew how many times he had to say, Steve, you're being stupid, right? And he never really sugarcoated it. He just said, Steve, that was really dumb. <laughs> like, Brad. Oh, and most of the time I was like, yeah, I know, I know. And I needed somebody to call me out on my stupidity. My friend, invite people into your life to call you out on stuff. This is the power of small group. This is the power of not just attending small group once in a while, but devoting yourself to a community in such a dedicated way that they actually get to know you well enough to know where your blind spots are. I'll never forget, we were doing our leadership training class for Chi Alpha, and I invited, and listen, if you're a church kid in here, God bless you. If you grew up in church, but you're the worst at this, all right? You really are, all right? Church kids are the worst. So, oh, sometimes I just want to wring church kids' necks, right? Because I, I, don't quote me on that. Don't quote me on that, all right? So I'm talking to this kid who grew up in church. His dad's a pastor, right? And I said, hey, we do this thing, this training program that helps, like, you learn how to make disciples. And he looks at me and he goes, oh, Steve, I know exactly what you would teach in that class. And I, I, I think I, I think I know, I don't think I need to go through that. Literally told me that. Not kidding. And I go, really? So, like, you've, you've, like, you're, like, leading people to Jesus and making disciples? Like, well, I mean, uh, well, you know, I mean, I just, you know, I will, uh, mm. it's like, okay, <laughs> see ya. Like, it's like, are you kidding me? Like, there was no teachability in this young man. Because why? Because he believed that he had, and he did have all the answers. The reality was, is that he did have all the answers, but he wasn't implementing them or putting them into practice. Because he learned how to give the right answers, but not how to live out the right answers. And there's a difference in that. A teachable heart says, I realize that even if I've been serving Jesus for 50, 60, 70 years, that there are things that I don't know. Okay. See, I told you toes were going to get stepped on tonight, all right? And if anybody quotes me on, Steve wants to strangle church kids, all right? That taken out of context could make me lose my job, so don't do that, all right? All right, moving on. All right, <laughs> number three, number three. Let's move on to verse 10 of this passage. The third practice to overcoming narcissism is servanthood. Verse 10 says, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourself. In other words, humble yourself. Humility, and you've heard me say this before, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Okay? So, <laughs> here, I'm going to say that again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less often. That's what humility is. Putting somebody else's needs above your own. And this is, this is exhibited in Chi Alpha every single week when Evan shows up early and helps set up a room and a sound, an entire sound equipment, and none of you have ever known that Evan comes early. Way to go, Evan. All right? 
That's putting somebody else's needs above your own. Having there be opportunities. My friend, what if what if this week you said, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna something as simple as I'm gonna cook, I'm gonna bake cookies for my small group. Or, you know, if if you're in a small group with me, don't bake them, just bring the cookie dough. All right. That's that's really what you should do. All right. Something that simple is putting somebody else's needs above your own. When we put these things into consistent practice, a powerful thing happens. The other part of servanthood that I think we think about maybe less often is in verses 4 through 6, there goes through, and we won't read it because it's a mouthful, but we already did, but it was all of, the, all of those gifts that people have. And it talks about the fact that in the body of Christ, there are many parts, but one body. And everybody has something to contribute. You see, when the body of Christ is engaged in servanthood, we are operating as a fully functioning organism. But I want to challenge you with something. You are part of this body. And you have something to offer every single Thursday night. Have you ever thought about that? Like, you have something to offer this room of people every single Thursday night. You just being here with a smile on your face saying hello to one person could mean the difference of somebody's eternity. You extending one simple invitation could mean the difference of somebody's eternity. You attending your small group, you say, ah, you know, I won't be missed tonight. You have been given a unique set of skills. And God wants you to be at that small group. Why? Because you might be that person that sits quietly in the corner at small group and doesn't say a whole lot. And then when you finally open your mouth, you drop wisdom bombs, right? We all have that person in our small group that's like, oh, man. And the person that talks too much is like, man, I got to talk less, right? That was good, right? You might be the hugger at small group. that just You just give everybody hugs, right? And if you don't show up, somebody's going to come to small group, and they're just going to be hugless, right? <laughs> Heaven forbid. I want to go to small group and not get a hug. <sighs> we, had this Skittle, we had this Skittles guy, all right? The Skittles guy in our small group. He hosted our small group in his dorm room, and his name was Steven Anderson. Steven, uh, uh, to this day, man, I, I think Steven's still single. God bless his heart, all right? All right? Not a whole lot of social skills, right? And it's okay. I mean, listen, uh, Steven is a wonderful human. He's making more money than all of you combined as an engineer, all right? It's, it's, I mean, um, he loves Jesus to death, right? But his contribution to small group was his Skittles dispenser. And he made sure that his Skittles dispenser was full every single week so that when you would walk in, you would get a handful of Skittles and you'd go sit down for small group, all right? It got to the point where one day we were all trained like Pavlov's dog, all right? <laughs> The Skittles dispenser was out of Skittles, and people walked in the room. They wouldn't even look at the Skittles dispenser. They'd go like this, like, what? where are the Skittles? <laughs> Literally, it happened. Like, we watched it happen five times as guys came in. They had been trained by the Skittles. The Skittles meant something to us. That was Steven Anderson's contribution to that small group. And it mattered. 
My friends, you bring something to your small group. And when you miss, when you don't come, it's not just about you. It's about the greater community. When you're not there to share about Jesus' faithfulness in your life, it, we miss something. When you say, ah, you know, I just, you know, I got a lot of homework tonight. I don't think I'm going to make it on Thursday. We are less. We are less than what we could be for the body of Christ without you. Servanthood. We all bring something. Okay, let's go on to the fourth thing. The fourth practice is grit. Verse 12 says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Joyful in hope, meaning that we're like, hope is waiting for something that you do not see, right? Be patient in affliction, ouch. Faithful in prayer. In other words, Paul says, hey, do hard things once in a while. And just because something doesn't feel good or is stressful, it doesn't make it bad. So often I think when it comes to our prayer lives, like prayer is one of the most selfless things that you can do. Praying for somebody else is one of the greatest ways to fight narcissism. But so often I hear this. Ah, well, Steve, sometimes I just don't feel like praying, and if I don't feel like praying, it feels inauthentic, and so I don't want to be inauthentic. So I've just, I, I, I'm going to wait until I pray. I, I'm going to wait until I'm authentic to pray. If you're waiting to pray until you feel like praying, you will never pray. It's just the reality. Prayer is a discipline that we develop in our lives, friends. Some of you are praying, you're still on the fence about going on a mission trip, and you just need to pull the trigger because God's going to use that mission trip to develop grit in your life. I have a friend, his name is Nathan Karsten. Some of you know him. He used to be a small group leader in this Chi Alpha a couple years ago. He is now in the Marketplace Ministry Training Program. Uh, and, ooh, we got a picture of Nathan. That, wow. Wow, thanks for finding that photo, Neil. That's, that's a man of grit right there, all right? I've never seen him wear those sunglasses before. Okay, so I want to tell Nathan's story because I think it's a very inspirational story. So Nathan starts, uh, he, he makes a decision to follow Jesus when he's like a, a, a freshman or sophomore in college. And he decides, I'm going to try to make disciples. So he enters our discipleship training course. And, and he gets halfway through and his ROTC program uh, ends up conflicting with his schedule, prevents him from leading, and he says, I can't finish the class, but I'm going to do it next year. I said, okay. So he starts the class completely over again next year because he's devoted to being trained. So he starts the class over, he gets halfway through, and Nathan gets diagnosed with colon cancer. And he has to quit the class to go get cancer treatment. He gets cancer treatment, God takes the cancer away. It was amazing. And then the next year, he says, Steve, can I do the discipleship training class again? Can I give it a third shot? Is that okay? Will you let me do that? I'm like, yes. The fact that you actually want to do this a third time is absolutely amazing, right? So he does the discipleship training class. He goes through the discipleship training class. Nathan ends up becoming, like, literally over the course of the next two years, becomes one of our most effective small group leaders that we have disciples men, leads people to Jesus, incredible stuff. God calls him into ministry. 
to go be a teacher and a church planter out in the villages of Alaska. So what does he have to do? He has to enter a training program. He gets halfway through that training program, and guess what happens? No joke, he gets re-diagnosed with cancer. So what does he do? He quit and walked away. No, this is a man of grit, right? So he goes and he says, we're going to battle through this. He battles through cancer a second time. And I'm delighted to report to you that the doctors have given him the free and clear. The cancer is gone, all right? And everything is is, uh, going to be back to normal here in another couple months once he gets healed up from his last surgery. And listen to this. Nathan is going to rejoin the training program, finish the training program so that he can go be a missionary and a teacher in a village and do something that is not going to be easy for him to do. This is a man of grit. I want you to take a lesson from Nathan. And the next time that you're like, I just feel like having a me day. (laughs) (laughs) Nathan never took a me day, all right? Why? Because the call of God on his life and people knowing Jesus meant more, has always meant more to Nathan than anything else in his life. If you're here tonight and you've been struggling with social anxiety or whatever, push through it. Ask Jesus for opportunities to push through it. The worship team can come back up. The last point I want to make, I want to pull from this passage, is in verse 15. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I think the last thing that I want to point out as to how do we overcome narcissism is by being empathetic with those around us. To enter into other people's struggle. To mourn with those who mourn. Rejoice with those who rejoice. To put ourselves in other people's shoes. To think about how this decision I'm making is going to affect that other person. It's, our culture has gotten so okay with ghosting people. And I just want to challenge you to think about what we do when we do that. Really what it is is it's a removal of dignity from that individual saying you are not worth a response. When we cancel on somebody, when we do those things, it's a rem- or we, we're, we're late, whatever it might be, we, it's actually a removal of that person's importance. And I think that there's a lot of ways to, to increase empathy in our lives. And one of those ways is to just take an opportunity to make your world bigger. My first summer in Alaska, I was told that I was going to do a ministry training internship. You know what I thought that meant? That I thought I was going to get to preach the gospel. Give me a microphone, Jesus, I'm ready. You know what that was? I got planted out at Little Beaver Bible Camp, and I cleaned toilets for an entire summer. This is a ministry Jesus, I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel, right? No, that's exactly where Jesus needed me. He said, no, 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 no. You need to learn how to serve. You need to learn how to be teachable. 
You need to learn how to have God-centered thinking despite what you're doing. You need to learn how to have grit. And that same summer, I got to travel to Western Alaska and go to a Bible camp where I found out about a need that I did not know existed in our country, that there were villages in Alaska that did not have a consistent gospel witness. And I heard these kids' stories and my heart broke. And as we sent these kids home from this week of Bible camp, I stood crying on the banks of the Yukon River saying, this is stupid. Somebody needs to do something about this. And in that moment of empathy, the Lord said, Steve, maybe you should do something about it. You see, it was that moment that was an open-minded moment in which the Holy Spirit spoke and said, hey, this world is a lot bigger than you, Steve. And there's problems that I want to do something about, but I need obedient servants to say yes to do something about those things. And this is the last commercial you will receive for a short-term mission trip. But this is the power of short-term missions, my friend. It's not so much about doing, it's about becoming. It's about increasing our empathy, increasing our grit, increasing our ability to serve, increasing our teachability, and increasing our God-centered thinking. And when that happens, oh, we start to do what Jesus commanded us to do when he said, the least amongst you will be the greatest. Do you bow your heads and close your eyes? I want us to close with just asking the Lord, which one of these areas do I need to grow the most in? And the, those things are gonna be on the screen behind me. And I just want you to pick one. Help, have, the, have the Lord help you pick it. Say, Lord, which one of those do I need to work on? And then ask him this question. Lord, how do you want me to work on that? And I believe this, that he's gonna speak something to you. And when he does, find somebody to pray with you. Maybe your small group leader is sitting next to you. Maybe somebody from your small group is sitting next to you that you trust. The Chi Alpha staff will be in the back and we would love to pray with you uh, for those things. But I'm gonna challenge you not to leave this place without being prayed for today. And my second question is this, is if, if you are here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you'd like one, or you've had one in the past and you, it's not been active at all anymore and you'd like to renew that decision tonight, if that's you, could you just raise a hand in here? Is that for anybody? Okay, if you raise your hand to that question, I'm gonna ask that you would come find me or Aaron or Kristen or Brianna or Neil or Nicole, one of the Kyle staff in the back, and just tell them that you wanna make that decision. And we would love to walk you through what those next steps are. And uh, I'm gonna pray over all of us like this. Lord, as we examine these five things, would you speak to us about which one we need the most help with? And would you give us a clear next step? And would we have the bravery to invite somebody to come alongside of us and say, hey, I need help with this blind spot. Be with us as we spend these last few moments tonight with you. In Jesus' name, amen.